CD6 Six beneficent winds had thought it was a pretty good plan. The horrible old men were lost in the Forbidden City. Although they had a wiry look, rather like natural bonsai trees that had managed to flourish on a windswept cliff, they were nevertheless very old and not at all heavily armed. So he led them in the direction of the gymnasium. And when they were inside, he screamed for help at the top of his voice. To his amazement, they didn't turn and run. "'Can we kill him now?' said Truckle. A couple of dozen muscular men had stopped pounding logs of wood and piles of bricks and were regarding them suspiciously. "'Got any ideas?' said Cohen to Mr Savaloy. "'Oh, dear. They're so very tough-looking, aren't they? "'You can't think of anything civilised?' "'No. It's over to you, I'm afraid.' "'Aha! I've been waiting for this,' said Caleb, pushing forward. "'Been practising every day, you know, with my big lump of teak.' "'These are ninjas.' said Six Beneficent Winds proudly, as a couple of the men wandered towards the door and pulled it shut. The finest fighters in the world. Yield now. That's interesting, said Cohen. Here, you in the black pyjamas. Just got out of bed, have you? Who's the best out of all of you? One of the men stared fixedly at Cohen and thrust out a hand at the nearest wall. It left a dent. Then he nodded at the tax gatherer. What are these old fools you've brought us? I think they're barbarian invaders, said the taxman. How do you... How did he know that? said Boy Willie. We're wearing itchy trousers and eating with forks and everything. The leading ninja sneered. Heroic eunuchs, he said. Old men. Who are you calling a eunuch? Cohen demanded. "'Can I just show him what I've been practising with my lump of teak?' said Caleb, hopping arthritically from one foot to another. The ninja eyed the slab of timber. "'You could not make a dent on that old man,' he said. "'You watch,' said Caleb. He held out the wood at arm's length, then he raised his other hand, grunting a little as it got past shoulder height. "'You're watching this hand? You're watching this hand?' he demanded. "'I am watching.' said the ninja, trying not to laugh. Good, said Caleb. He kicked the man squarely in the groin, and then, as he doubled up, hit him over the head with the teak. Because you should have been watching this foot. And that would have been all there was to it if there had only been one ninja. But there was a clatter of rice flails and an unsheathing of long, curved swords. The horde drew close together. Hamish pushed back his rug to reveal their armoury, although the collection of notched blades looked positively homely compared with the shiny toys ranged against them. Teach, why don't you take Mr Taxman over to the corner out of harm's way, said Genghis. This is madness, said Six Beneficent Winds. They're the finest fighters in the world and you're just old men. Give in now and I'll see if I can get you a rebate. Calm down, calm down, said Mr Savaloy. No one's going to get hurt, metaphorically at least. Genghis Cohen waved his sword a few times. OK, you lads, he said. Give us your best ninji. Six beneficent winds looked on in horror as the horde squared up. But it will be a terrible slaughter, he said. I'm afraid so, said Mr Savaloy. He fished in his pockets for a bag of peppermints. Who are these mad old men? What do they do? 
Barbarian heroing, generally, said Mr Savaloy. Rescuing princesses, robbing temples, fighting monsters, exploring ancient and terror-filled ruins, that sort of thing. But they look old enough to be dead. Why do they do it? Savaloy shrugged. That's all they've ever done. A ninja somersaulted down the room, screaming, a sword in either hand. Cohen waited in an attitude rather similar to that of a baseball batter. I wonder, said Mr. Savaloy, if you've ever heard of the term evolution. The two met, the air blurred. Or survival of the fittest, said Mr. Savaloy. The scream continued, but rather more urgently. I didn't even see his sword move, whispered six beneficent winds. Yes, people often don't, said Mr. Savaloy. But they're so old. Indeed, said the teacher, raising his voice above the screams. And of course this is true, they are very old barbarian heroes. The taxman stared. Would you like a peppermint, said Mr. Savaloy, as Hamish's wheelchair thundered past in pursuit of a man with a broken sword and a pressing desire to stay alive. You may find it helps if you are around the horde for any length of time. The aroma from the proffered paper bag hit six beneficent winds like a flamethrower. How can you smell anything after eating those? You can't, said Mr. Savaloy happily. The taxman continued to stare. The fighting was a fast and furious affair, but somehow only on one side. The horde fought like you'd expect old men to fight, slowly and with care. All the activity was on the part of the ninjas. But no matter how well flung the throwing star, or speedy the kick, the target was always, without any obvious effort, not there. Since we have this moment to chat, said Mr Savaloy, as something with a lot of blades hit the wall just above the taxman's head, I wonder, could you tell me about the big hill just outside the city? It is quite a remarkable feature. What? said Six Beneficent Winds distractedly. The Big Hill. You want to know about that now? Geography is a little hobby of mine. Someone's ear hit six beneficent winds on the ear. Uh, what? Uh, we call it the Big Hill. Hey, look at what he's doing with his... It seems remarkably regular. Is it a, a natural feature? What? Uh, oh, I don't know. They say it turned up thousands of years ago, during a terrible storm, when the first emperor died. he He's going to be killed! He's going to be killed! He, how did he do that? Six beneficent winds suddenly remembered as a child playing Shibo Yang Kong San with his grandfather. The old man always won. No matter how carefully he'd assembled his strategy, he'd find Grandfather would place a tile quite innocently right in the crucial place just before he could make his big move. The ancestor had spent his whole life playing Shibo. The fight was just like that. Oh, my, he said. That's right, said Mr Savaloy. They've had a lifetime's experience of not dying. They've become very good at it. But why here? Why come here? We're going to undertake a robbery, said Mr. Savaloy. Six beneficent winds nodded sagely. The wealth of the Forbidden City was legendary. Probably even blood-sucking ghosts had heard of it. The talking vase of Emperor Pjisu, he said. No. The jade head of Sung Tsuit Li, 
No, wrong track entirely, I'm afraid. Not the secret of how silk is made. Good grief. Silkworms' bottoms. Everyone knows that. No, something rather more precious than that. Despite himself, Six Beneficent Winds was impressed. Apart from anything else, only seven ninjas were still standing, and Cohen was fencing with one of them while rolling a cigarette in the other hand. And Mr. Savaloy could see it dawning in the fat man's eyes. The same thing had happened to him. Cohen came into people's lives like a rogue planet into a peaceful solar system, and you felt yourself being dragged along simply because nothing like that would ever happen to you again. He himself had been peacefully hunting for fossils during the school holidays when he'd more or less stumbled into the camp of those particular fossils called the Horde. They'd been quite friendly because he had neither weapons nor money, and they'd taken to him because he knew things they didn't. And that had been it. He'd decided there and then. It must have been something in the air. His past life had suddenly unrolled behind him, and he couldn't remember a single day of it that had been any fun. And it had dawned on him that he could join the Horde or go back to school, and pretty soon a limp handshake, a round of applause, and his pension. It was something about Cohen. Maybe it was what they called charisma. It overpowered even his normal smell of a goat that had just eaten curried asparagus. He did everything wrong. He cursed people, and used what Mr Savaloy considered very offensive language to foreigners. He shouted terms that would have earned anyone else a free slit throat from a variety of interesting ethnic weapons. And he got away with it. Partly because it was clear that there was no actual malice there, but mainly because he was, well, Cohen. A sort of basic natural force on legs. It worked on everything. When he wasn't actually fighting them, he got on a lot better with trolls than did people who merely thought that trolls had rights, just like everyone else. Even the Horde, bloody-minded individualists to a man, fell for it. But Mr Savaloy had also seen the aimlessness in their lives, and one night he'd brought the conversation round to the opportunities offered in the Aurient. There was a light in Six Beneficent Wind's expression. Have you got an accountant? he said. Well, um, no, as a matter of fact. Will this theft be treated as income or capital? I haven't really thought of it like that. The Horde doesn't pay taxes. What? Not to anyone? No, it's funny, but they never seem to keep their money for long. It seems to disappear on drink and women and high living. I suppose from a heroing point of view, they may count as taxes. There was a pop as six beneficent winds uncorked a small bottle of ink and licked his writing brush. But those sort of things probably count as allowable expenses for the barbarian hero, he said. They are part of the job specification. And then, of course, there is wear and tear on weaponry, protective clothing. They could certainly claim for at least one new loincloth a year. I don't think they've claimed for one per century. And there's pensions, of course. Ah, don't use that word. They think it's a dirty word. But in a way, that is what they're here for. This is their last adventure. When they've stolen this very valuable thing that you won't tell me about... That's right. You'd be very welcome to join us. You could, perhaps, be a barbarian... Um, to push beans. Oh, uh, a length of knotted string. Oh, uh, accountant. 
Have you ever killed anyone? Not outright, but I've always thought you could do considerable damage with a well-placed final demand. Mr. Savaloy beamed. Ah, yes, he said. Civilization. The last ninja was upright, but only just. Hamish had run his wheelchair over his foot. Mr. Savaloy patted the taxman's arm. Excuse me, he said. I find I often have to intervene at this stage. He padded over to the surviving man, who was looking around wildly. Six swords had become interlaced around his neck as though he'd taken part in a rather energetic folk dance. Good morning, said Mr. Savaloy. I should just point out that Genghis here is, despite appearances, a remarkably honest man. He finds it hard to understand empty bravura. May I venture to suggest, therefore, that you refrain from phrases like I would rather die than betray my emperor or go ahead and do your worst, unless you really, really mean them. Should you wish for mercy, a simple hand signal will suffice. I strongly advise you not to attempt to nod. The young man looked sideways at Cohen, who gave him an encouraging smile. Then he waved a hand quickly. The swords unwove. Truckle hit the ninja overhead with a club. It's all right. You don't have to go on about it. I didn't kill him, he said sulkily. Ow! Boy Willie had been experimenting with a rice flail and had hit his own ear. How'd they manage to fight with this rubbish? What? These little hogs watch decoration thingies look the business, though, said Vincent, picking up a throwing star. Ugh! He sucked his fingers. Useless foreign junk! That bit where that lad sprang backwards right across the room with them axes in his hands was impressive, though. Yeah. You didn't ought to have stuck your sword out like that, I thought. He's learned an important lesson. It won't do him much good now where he's gone. What? Six beneficent winds was half laughing, half shocked. But, but I've seen these guards fight before, he said. They're invincible. No one told us. But you beat them all. Yup. And you're just eunuchs. There was a scrape of steel. Six beneficent winds closed his eyes. He could feel metal touching his neck in at least five places. Oh, there's that word again, said the voice of Cohen the Barbarian. But you're dressed as eunuchs, murmured Six Beneficent Winds, trying not to swallow. Mr. Savaloy backed away, chuckling nervously. You say, he said, speaking fast, you're too old to be taken for guards, and you don't look like bureaucrats, so I thought it would be uh, a very good disguise to... Eunuch, roared Truckle. You mean people have been looking at me and thinking I mince around saying, Helluo Saltet? Like many men whose testosterone had always sloshed out of their ears, the Horde had never fine-tuned their approach to the more complex areas of sexuality. A teacher to the core, Mr. Savaloy couldn't help correcting them, even at sword point. Uh, that means the glutton dances, not as you seem to think, hello sailor, which is heus nauta, he said, and eunuchs don't say it, not as a matter of course.
Look, it's it's an honour to be a eunuch in the Forbidden City. Many of them occupy very exalted positions in... Then prepare yourself for high office, teacher, Truckle shouted. Cohen knocked the sword out of his hand. All right, none of that. I don't like it either, he said. But it's just a disguise. Shouldn't mean anything to a man who once bit a bear's head off, should it? Yeah, but, you know, it's not... I mean, when we went past those young ladies back there, they all giggled. Maybe later you can find them and make them laugh, said Cohen. But you should have told us, Teach. Sorry. What? What's he say? He said you're a eunuch, Boy Willie bellowed in Hamish's ear. Yep, said Hamish happily. What? That's me, the one and only. No, he didn't mean... What? Oh, never mind, it's all pretty much the same to you, Hamish. Mr Savaloy surveyed the wrecked gym. I wonder what time it is, he said. Ah, gurgled six beneficent winds, happy to lighten things a little. Here, you know we have an amazing demon-powered device that tells you what the time is even when the sun isn't... Clocks, said Mr Savaloy. We've got them in Arkmorepork. Only demons evaporate eventually, so now they work by... He paused. Interesting. You don't have a word for it. Er, uh, shaped metal that does work? Um... Toothed wheels? The taxman looked frightened. Wheels with teeth? What do you call the things that grind corn? Peasants. Yes, but uh, what do they grind corn with? I don't know. Why should I know? Only peasants need to know that. Yes, I suppose that says it all, really, said Mr Savaloy sadly. It's a long way off dawn, said Truckle. Why don't we go and kill everyone in their beds? No, 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 said Mr Savaloy. I keep telling you, we've got to do it properly. I could show you the treasure house, said Six Beneficent Winds helpfully. Never a good idea to give a monkey the key to a banana plantation, said Mr Savaloy. Can you think of anything else to keep them amused for an hour? Down in the basement there was a man who was talking about the government at the top of his voice. You can't fight for a cause. A cause is just a thing. Then we are fighting for the peasants, said Butterfly. She'd backed away. Rinswin's anger was coming off him like steam. Oh, have you ever met them? I have seen them. Oh, good. And what is it you want to achieve? A better life for the people said Butterfly coldly. You think you having some uprising and hanging a few people will do it? Well, I come from Ark Moorpork, and we've had more rebellions and civil wars than you've had lukewarm duck's feet. And you know what? The rulers are still in charge. They always are. They smiled at him in polite and nervous incomprehension. Look, he said, rubbing his forehead, all those people out in the fields, the water buffalo people. If you have a revolution, it'll be all the better for them, will it? Of course said Butterfly. They will no longer be subject to the cruel and capricious whims of the Forbidden City. No, oh, that's good, said Rincewind. So they'll sort of be in charge of themselves, will they?
Indeed, said Lotus Blossom. By means of the People's Committee, said Butterfly. Rincewind pressed both hands to his head. My word, he said. I don't know why, but I had this predictive flash. They looked impressed. I had this sudden feeling, he went on, that there won't be all that many water buffalo string holders on the People's Committee. In fact, I get this kind of voice telling me that a lot of the People's Committee, correct me if I'm wrong, are standing in front of me right now. Initially, of course, said Butterfly, the peasants can't even read and write. I expect they don't even know how to farm properly, said Rincewind gloomily, not after doing it for only three or four thousand years. We certainly believe that there are many improvements that could be made, yes, said Butterfly, if we act collectively. I bet they'll be really glad when you show them, said Rincewind. He stared glumly at the floor. He quite liked the job of a water buffalo string holder. It sounded nearly as good as the profession of castaway. He longed for the kind of life when you could really concentrate on the squishiness of the mud underfoot and make up pictures in the clouds. The kind of life where you could let your mind catch up with you and speculate for hours at a time about when your water buffalo was next going to enrich the loam. But it was probably difficult enough as it was without people trying to improve it. He wanted to say, how can you be so nice and yet so dumb? The best thing you can do with the peasants is leave them alone. Let them get on with it. When people who can read and write start fighting on behalf of people who can't, you just end up with another kind of stupidity. If you want to help them, build a big library or something somewhere and leave the door open. But this is Hung Hung. You can't think like that in Hung Hung. This is where people have learned to do what they're told. The Horde worked that one out. The Empire's got something worse than whips all right. It's got obedience. Whips in the soul. They obey anyone who tells them what to do. Freedom just means being told what to do by someone different. You'll all be killed. I'm a coward, and even I know more about fights than you do. I've run away from some really good ones. Oh, let's just get out of here, he said. He gingerly took the sword from a dead guard and held it the right way round on the second attempt. He weighed it for a second, then shook his head and threw it away. The cadre looked a lot happier. But I'm not leading you, said Rincewind. I'm just showing you the way. And it's the way out. Do you understand? They stood wearing rather bruised looks, as people do who've been subject to several minutes ranting. No one spoke, until Twoflower whispered, He often goes on like this, you know, and then he does something very brave. Rincewind snorted. There was another dead guard at the top of the stairs. Sudden death seemed to be catching. And leaning against the wall was a bundle of swords. Tied to it was a scroll. The great wizard has shown us the way for only two minutes, and already we have extra luck, said Lotus Blossom. Don't touch the swords, said Rincewind. But supposing we see more guards, should we not resist them with every drop of our life's blood, said Butterfly. Rincewind looked blank. No, run away. Ah, yes, said Twoflower, and live to fight another day. That is an ankh Morpork saying. Rincewind had always assumed that the purpose of running away was to be able to run away another day. However, he said, people don't usually find themselves mysteriously let out of prison with a bunch of weapons handily close by and all the guards out of action. Ever thought of that? And with a map, said Butterfly. Her eyes shone. She flourished the scroll. 
It's a map of the way out, said Rincewind. No, to the Emperor's chambers. Look, it has been marked. That's what Herb used to talk about sometimes. He must be in the palace. We should assassinate the Emperor. More luck, said Two Flower. But look, you know, I'm sure if we talked to him... Haven't you been listening? We are not going to see the Emperor, hissed Rincewind. Does it occur to you that guards don't stab themselves? Cells don't suddenly become unlocked? You don't find swords lying around so conveniently, and you don't, you really don't find maps saying, This way, folks. And anyway, you can't talk to someone who's a plate of prawn crackers short of a set meal A for two. No, said Butterfly, we must make the most of this opportunity. There will be lots of guards. Well, great wizard, you will have a lot of wishing to do. You think I can snap my fingers like this and all the guards would drop dead? <laughs> I wish they would. These two out here have, Lotus Blossom reported from the entrance to the dungeons. She was already in awe of Rincewind. Now she looked positively terrified. Coincidence. Let's be serious, said Butterfly. We have a sympathizer in the palace. Perhaps it is someone risking their lives every moment. We know some of the eunuchs are on our side. They've got nothing left to lose, I suppose. You have a better idea, Great Wizard? Yes, back into the cells. What? This smells wrong. Would you really kill the Emperor? I mean, really? Butterfly hesitated. We've often talked about it. Two fire herbs said that if we could assassinate the Emperor, we would light the torch of freedom. Yes, it'd be you burning. Look, get back in the cells, it's the safest place. I'll lock you in and scout. That's a very brave suggestion, said Two Flower, and typical of the man, he added proudly. Butterfly gave Rincewind a look he'd come to dread. It is a good idea, she said, and I will accompany you. Oh, but it's bound to be very dangerous, said Rincewind quickly. No harm can possibly come to me when I am with the great wizard, said Butterfly. Very true, very true, said Two Flower. No harm ever came to me, I know that. Besides, his daughter went on, I have the map, and it would be dreadful if you lost your way and accidentally strayed out of the Forbidden City, wouldn't it? Rincewind gave in. It struck him that Two Flower's late wife must have been a remarkably intelligent woman. Oh, all right, he said. But you're not to get in the way, and you're to do what I tell you, OK? Butterfly bowed. Lead on, O oh great wizard, she said. I knew it, said Truckle. Poison. No, no, you don't eat it. You rub it on your body, said Mr. Savaloy. Watch, and you get what we in civilization call clean. Most of the horde stood waist-deep in the warm water, every man with his hands chastely wrapped around his body. Hamish had refused to relinquish his wheelchair, so only his head was above the surface. It's all prickly, said Cohen, and my skin's peeling off and dissolving. That's not skin, said Mr. Savaloy. Haven't any of you seen a bath before? Oh, I've seen one, said Boy Willie. I killed the mad Bishop of Pseudopolis in one. You get, um, he furrowed his brow, bubbles and stuff. 
and fifteen naked maidens. What? Definitely fifteen. <laughs> Remember it well. That's more like it, said Caleb. All we've got to rub is this soap stuff. The emperor is ritually bathed by twenty-two bath women, said six beneficent winds. I could go and check with the harem eunuchs and wake them up if you like. It's probably allowable under entertaining. The taxman was warming to his new job. He'd worked out that although the horde as individuals had acquired mountains of cash in their careers as barbarian heroes, they'd lost almost all of it engaging in the other activities, he mentally catalogued these as public relations, necessary to the profession, and therefore were entitled to quite a considerable rebate. The fact that they were registered with no revenue-collecting authority anywhere, except on posters with legends like Wanted Dead, was entirely a secondary point. It was the principle that counted. And the interest, too, of course. No, no, young women, I insist, said Mr Savaloy. You're having a bath to get clean. Plenty of time for young women later. Got a date when all this is over, said Caleb a little shyly, thinking wistfully of one of the few women he'd ever had a conversation with. She's got her own farm, she said. I could be all right for a duck. I bet Teach don't want you to say that, said Boy Willie. I bet he'd say you've got to call it a waterfowl. <laughs> what? said Mad Hamish. Six beneficent winds sidled over to the teacher as the horde experimented with the bath oil, initially by drinking it. I've worked out what it is you're going to steal, he said. Oh, yes, said Mr Savaloy politely. He was watching Caleb, who, having had it brought home to him that he might have been adopting the wrong approach all his life, was trying to cut his nails with his sword. "'It's the legendary diamond coffin of Shiz Yu, said Six Beneficent Winds. "'No, <laughs> wrong again.' "'Oh, out of the baths, gentlemen,' said the teacher. "'I think, yes, you've mastered commerce, social intercourse.' <laughs> Sorry. And the principles of taxation, Mr. Savaloy went on. Have we done that? What are they, then? said Cohen. You take away almost all the money that the merchants have got, said Six Beneficent Winds, handing him a towel. Oh, is that it? I've been doing that for years. No, you've been taking away all the money, said Mr. Savaloy. That's where you go wrong. You kill too many of them, and the ones you don't kill, you leave too poor. Sounds frightfully good to me, said Truckle, excavating the Cretaceous contents of an ear. Poor merchants reach us. No, no, no. No, no, no. Yes, that's not civilised. It's like with sheep. Six beneficent winds explained. You don't tear their skin off all in one go. You just shear them every year. The horde looked blank. Hunter-gatherers, said Mr Savaloy with a touch of hopelessness. Wrong metaphor. It's the marvellous singing sword of Wong, isn't it? Whispered six beneficent winds. That's what you're going to steal. No. In fact, steal is rather the wrong word. Well, 
Anyway, gentlemen, you might not yet be civilised, but at least you're nice and clean, and many people think this is identical. Time, I think, for action. The horde straightened up. This was back in the area they understood. To the throne room, said Genghis Cohen. Six beneficent winds wasn't that fast on the uptake, but at last he put two and two together. It's the emperor, he said, and raised his hand to his mouth in horror, tinged with evil delight. You're going to kidnap him. Diamonds glittered when Cohen grinned. There were two dead guards in the corridor leading to the private imperial apartments. Look, how come you were all taken alive? whispered Rincewind. The guards I saw had big swords. How come you're not dead? I suppose they planned to torture us, said Butterfly. We did injure ten of them. Huh? Pasted posters on them, did you? Sang revolutionary songs until they gave in? Listen, someone wanted you alive. The floors sang in the darkness. Every footstep produced a chorus of squeaks and groans, just like the floorboards at the university. But you didn't expect that sort of thing in a nice shiny palace like this. They're called nightingale floors, said Butterfly. The carpenters put little metal collars around the nails so that no one can creep up unawares. Rincewind looked down at the corpses. Neither man had drawn his sword. He leaned his weight on his left foot. The floor squeaked. Then he leaned on his right foot. The floor groaned. This isn't right, then, he whispered. You can't creep up on someone on a floor like this. So someone they knew killed those guards. Let's get out of here. We go on, said Butterfly firmly. It's a trap. Someone's using you to do their dirty work. She shrugged. Turn left by the big jade statue. It was four in the morning, an hour before dawn. There were guards in the official staterooms, but not very many. After all, this was well inside the Forbidden City with its high walls and small gates. It wasn't as though anything was going to happen. It needed a special type of mind to stand guard over some empty rooms all night. One big river had such a mind, orbiting gently within the otherwise blissful emptiness of his skull. They'd happily called him One Big River because he was the same size and moved at the same speed as the Hung. Everyone had expected him to become a Tsimo wrestler, but he'd failed the intelligence test because he hadn't eaten the table. It was impossible for him to get bored. He just didn't have the imagination. But since the visor of his huge helmet registered a permanent expression of metal rage, he'd in any case cultivated the art of going to sleep on his feet. He was dozing happily now, aware only of an occasional squeaking, like that of a very cautious mouse. The helmet's visor swung up. A voice said, would you rather die than betray your emperor? A second voice said, This is not a trick question. One big river blinked and then turned his gaze downwards. An apparition in a squeaky-wheeled wheelchair had a very large sword pointing at exactly that inconvenient place where his upper armour didn't quite meet his lower armour. A third voice said, I should add that the last uh, 29 people who answered wrong are um, dried shredded fish. Uh, sorry, uh, dead. A fourth voice said, And we're not eunuchs. One big river rumbled with the effort of thought. 
I think I rather live, he said. A man with diamonds where his teeth should have been gave him a comradely pat on the shoulder. Good man, he said. Join the horde. We could use a man like you, maybe as a siege weapon. Who you, he said. This is Genghis Cohen, said Mr. Savaloy, doer of mighty deeds, slayer of dragons, ravager of cities. He once bought an apple. No one laughed. Mr. Savaloy had found that the horde had no concept whatsoever of sarcasm. Probably no one had ever tried it on them. One big river had been raised to do what he was told. Everyone had told him what to do all through his life. He fell in behind the man with diamond teeth because he was the sort of man you followed when he said follow. But, you know, there are tens of thousands of men who would die rather than betray their emperor, whispered six beneficent winds as they filed through the corridors. Well, I hope so. Some of them will be on guard around the Forbidden City. We've avoided them, but they're still here. We have to deal with them eventually. Oh, good, said Cohen. Bad, said Mr. Savaloy. That business with the ninjas was just high spirits. High spirits, murmured six beneficent winds. But you don't want a big fight out in the open. It'll get messy. Cohen walked over to the nearest wall, which had a gorgeous pattern of peacocks, and took out his knife. Paper, he said. Bloody paper. Paper walls. He poked his head through. There was a shrill whimper. Oh, sorry, ma'am. Official wall inspection. He extracted his head, grinning. But you can't go through walls, said six beneficent winds. Why not? Well, they're, they're, they're the walls. What would happen if everyone walked through the walls? What do you think doors are for? I think they're for other people, said Cohen. Which way's that throne room? What? said Mad Hamish. This is lateral thinking, explained Mr Savaloy as they followed him. Genghis is quite good at a certain kind of lateral thinking. What a lateral? Um, it's a kind of muscle, I believe. Thinking with your muscles? Yes, I see, said Six Beneficent Winds. Rincewind sidled into a space between the wall and a statue of a rather jolly dog with its tongue hanging out. What now? said Butterfly. How big's the Red Army? We number many thousands, said Butterfly defiantly. In Hung Hung? Oh no, there is a cadre in every city. You know that, do you? You've met them. That would be dangerous. Only two fire herb knows how to contact them. Fancy that. Well, do you know what I think? I think someone wants a revolution. And you're all so damn respectful and polite he's having his work cut out trying to organise one. But once you've got rebels, you can do anything. That can't be true. The uh, rebels in other cities, they do great revolutionary deeds, do they? We hear reports all the time. From our friend Herb. Butterfly frowned. Yes. You're thinking, aren't you? said Rincewind. The old brain cells are finally banging together, yes? Good. Have I convinced you? I don't know. Now let's go back. No. Now I've got to find out if what you're suggesting is true. Dying to find out, eh? Good grief, you people make me so angry. Look, watch this. 
Rincewind strode to the end of the corridor. There was a pair of wide doors, flanked by a pair of jade dragons. He flung them back. The room inside was low-ceilinged but large. In the centre, under a canopy, was a bed. It was hard to make out the figure lying there, but it had that certain stillness that suggests the kind of sleep from which there is unlikely to be any kind of awakening. You see, he said, he's been killed already. A dozen soldiers were staring at Rincewind in amazement. Behind him he heard the creaking of the floor and then some whooshing sounds followed by a noise like wet leather being hit against a rock. Rincewind looked at the nearest soldier. The man was holding a sword. One drop of blood coursed down the blade and with a brief pause for dramatic effect fell on the floor. Rincewind looked up and raised his hat. I do beg your pardon, he said brightly. Isn't this room 3B? And ran for it. The floor screamed under him, and behind him someone screamed Rincewind's nickname, which was, Don't let him get away. Let me get away, Rincewind prayed. Oh, please, let me get away. He slipped as he turned the corner, skidded through a paper wall, and landed in an ornamental fish pond. But Rincewind, in full flight, had cat-like, even messianic abilities. The water barely rippled under his feet as he bounced off the surface and headed away. Another wall erupted, and he was in what was possibly the same corridor. Behind him, someone landed heavily on a valuable koi. Rincewind shot forward again. From. That was the most important factor in any mindless escape. You were always running from. Two could look after itself. He cleared a long flight of shallow stone steps, rolled upright at the bottom, and set off at random along another corridor. His legs had sorted themselves out now. First, the mad wild dash to get you out of immediate danger, and then the good solid strides to put as much distance as possible between you and it. That was the trick. History told of a runner who'd run 40 miles after a battle to report its successful outcome to those at home. He was traditionally regarded as the greatest runner of all time. But if he'd been reporting news of an impending battle, he'd have been overtaken by Rincewind. And yet, someone was gaining. A knife poked through the wall of the throne room and cut a hole large enough to afford space for an upright man or one wheelchair. There was muttering from the horde. Bruce the Hoon never went in the back way. Shut up. Never one for back gates, Bruce the Hoon. Shut up. When Bruce the Hoon attacked Al Carly, he did it right at the main guard tower with a thousand screaming men on very small horses. Yeah. But last I saw of Bruce the Hoon, his head was on a spike. All right, I'll grant you that, but at least it was over the main gate. I mean, at least he got in. His head did? Oh, my. Mr Savaloy was gratified. The room they'd stepped into was enough to silence the horde, if only briefly. It was large, of course, but that hadn't been its only purpose. One sun mirror, as he welded the tribes and countries and little island nations together, had wanted a room built which said to chieftains and ambassadors, This is the biggest space you've ever been in. It is more splendid than anything you could ever imagine, and we've got a lot more rooms like this. He had wanted it to be impressive. He had very clearly wanted it to intimidate mere barbarians so much that they'd give in there and then. Let there be huge statues, he'd said and vast decorative hangings. Let there be pillars and carvings. Let the visitor be silenced by the sheer magnificence. Let it say to him, This is civilization, and you can join it or die. Now drop to your knees, or be shortened some other way. The horde gave it the benefit of their inspection. Finally, Truckle said, It's all right, I suppose. 
but not a patch on our chieftain's longhouse back in Scund. It hasn't even got a fire in the middle of the floor, look. It's gaudy to my mind. What? Typically foreign. I'd do away with most of these and get some decent straw on the floor, few shields round the walls. What? Mind you, get in a few hundred tables and you could have a hell of a carouse in here. Cohen walked across the huge expanse towards the throne, which was under a vast ornamental canopy. It's got an umbrella over it, look. Probably the roof leaks, you can't trust tiles. A good reed thatch will give you forty years bone dry. The throne was lacquered wood, but with many precious gems set in it. Cohen sat down. Is this it? he said. We've done it, Teach. Yes, um, of course, now you have to get away with it said Mr. Savaloy. I'm sorry, said Six Beneficent Winds. What have you done? You know that thing we were here to steal, said the teacher. Yes, it's the Empire. The taxman's expression didn't change for a few seconds, and then it flowed into a horrified grin. I think some breakfast is called for before we go any further, said Mr. Savaloy. Mr. Winds, perhaps you would be so good as to summon someone? The taxman was still grinning fixedly. But, uh, but you can't conquer an empire like this, he managed. You've got to have an army like the warlords. Just walking in like this, it's against the rules and... and there are thousands of guards. Yes, but they are all out there, said Mr. Savaloy. Guarding us, said Cohen. But they're guarding the real emperor. That's me, said Cohen. Oh, yeah, said Truckle. Who died and made you emperor? No one has to die, said Mr. Savaloy. It's called... Usurping. That's right, said Cohen. You just say, see ya, Gunga Din, you're out on your ear, okay? Piss off to some island somewhere, or... Genghis, Mr. Savaloy said gently. Do you think you could refrain from referring to foreigners in that rather offensive fashion? It's not civilised. Cohen shrugged. You're still going to have big trouble with the guards and things, said Six Beneficent Winds. Maybe not said Cohen. Tell them, Teach. Have you ever seen the, um, former emperor? said Mr. Savaloy. Mr. Winds? Of course not. Hardly anyone has seen... He stopped. There you are, then, said Mr. Savaloy. Very quick on the uptake, Mr. Winds, as befits the Lord High Chief Tax Gatherer. But it... Won't work, because... The six beneficent winds stopped again. Mr. Savaloy's words reached his brain. Lord High Chief? Me? The black hat with the ruby red button? Yes. And a feather in it, if you like, said Cohen, munificently. The taxman looked in rapt consideration. So... 
If there was, say, a mere district administrator who was incredibly cruel to his staff, particularly to a hard-working deputy and thoroughly deserving of a good, sound, thrashing... As the Lord High Chief Tax-Gatherer, of course, that would be entirely your affair. Six beneficent winds grin now threatened to remove the top of his head. On the subject of new taxation, he said, I've often had this thought that fresh air is all too readily available at far below the cost of production. We will listen to your ideas with extreme interest, said Mr Savaloy. In the meantime, please arrange breakfast. And have summoned, said Cohen, all those buggers who think they know what the Emperor looks like. The pursuer was closing. Rincewind skidded around a corner, and there, blocking the passageway, were three guards. These were not dead. They were alive, and they had got swords. Someone cannoned into the back of him, pushing him to the ground, and leapt past. He shut his eyes. There were a couple of thumps, a groan, and then a very strange metallic noise. It was a helmet spinning round and round on the floor. He was pulled to his feet. "'Are you going to lie around all day?' said Butterfly. "'Come on! They're not far behind!' Rincewind glanced at the recumbent guards and then loped after the girl. "'How many of them are there?' he managed. Seven now, but two of them are limping and one's having trouble breathing. Come on!' "'You hit them? Do you always waste breath like this?' "'Never found anyone who could keep up with me before.' They turned a corner and almost ran into another guard. Butterfly didn't even stop. She took a ladylike step, whirled around on one foot, and kicked the man so hard on his ear that he spun around on his own axis and landed on his head. She paused, panted, and tucked her hair back into place. We should split up, she said. Oh, no, said Rincewind. I mean, I must protect you. I'll head back to the others. You lead the guards away somewhere. Can you all do that? Of course, said Butterfly testily. I told you we fought the guards. Now, if we split up, one of us is bound to escape. The murderers, we were supposed to take the blame for that. Didn't I try and tell you? I thought you wanted him dead. Yes, but we're rebels. They were palace guards. Um, no time. See you in heaven. She darted away. Oh, Rincewind looked around. It had all gone quiet. Guards appeared at the end of the corridor, but cautiously, as befitted people who'd just met Butterfly. There. Is it her? No, it's him. Get him. He accelerated again, rounded a corner, and found that he was in a cul-de-sac that would undoubtedly, given the sounds behind, become a dead end. But there was a pair of doors. He kicked them open, ran inside, and slowed. The space inside was dark, but the sound and air suggested a large space and a certain flatulent component indicated some kind of stable. There was some light, though, from a fire. Rincewind trotted towards it and saw that it was under a huge cauldron, man-sized, full of boiling rice. And now that his eyes were accustomed to the gloom, he realised that there were shapes lying on slabs along both walls of an enormous room. They were snoring gently. They were, in fact, people. They might even have been humans or at least had humans in their ancestry before someone hundreds of years ago had said, let's see how big and fat we can breed people. Let's try for really big bastards. Each giant frame was dressed in what looked like a nappy to Rincewind's eyes and was dozing happily alongside a bowl holding enough rice to explode twenty people, just in case it woke up in the night and felt like a light snack.
A couple of his pursuers appeared in the doorway and stopped. Then they advanced, but very cautiously, carefully watching the gently moving mounds. Oi, 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 shouted Rincewind. The men stopped and stared at him. Wakey, wakey, let's see the rising suns. He grabbed a mighty ladle and banged it on the rice cauldron. Up you get, hands off, uh, whatever you can find, and on with socks. The sleepers stirred. The room shook as forty tree-trunk legs swung off the slabs. Flesh rearranged itself so that in the gloom, Rincewind appeared to be being watched by twenty small pyramids. Those men, said Rincewind, pointing desperately at his pursuers, who were slowly backing away, those men have a pork sandwich. With mustard. Twenty very small heads turned. A total of eighty specialised neurons fired into life, and the floor shook. The wrestlers started to move, hopefully towards the men, in a slow but deliberate run, designed to be halted only by collision with another wrestler or a continent. <sighs> Rincewind dashed for the far door and burst through it. A couple of men were sitting in a small room, drinking tea and playing shibo, watched by a third. The wrestlers are restless! he shouted. I think you've got a stampede going on. A man threw down his shibo tiles. Blast! And it's been at least an hour since they were fed. The men grabbed various nets and prods and items of protective clothing, leaving Rincewind alone. There was another door. He sashayed through it. He'd never essayed a sachet before, but he reckoned he was due a sachet for quick thinking. There was another passage. He ran down it, on the basis that absence of pursuit is no reason to stop running. Lord Hong was folding paper. He was an expert at it because when he did it, he gave it his full attention. Lord Hong had a mind like a knife, although possibly a knife with a curved blade. The door slid aside. A guard, red in the face from running, threw himself on the floor. Oh, Lord Hong, who is exalted. Yes, indeed, said Lord Hong distantly, essaying a taxing crease. What has gone wrong this time? My lord? I asked you what has gone wrong. Uh, we killed the emperor as directed. By whom? My, my lord, you commanded it. Did I? said Lord Hong, folding the paper lengthwise. The guard shut his eyes. He had a vision, a very short vision, of the future. There was a spike in it. He carried on. But the prisoners can't be found anywhere, Lord. We heard someone approach and then, well, we saw two people, Lord. We're chasing them, but the others have vanished. No slogans. No revolutionary posters. No culprits. No, Lord. I see. Remain here. Lord Hong's hands continued with the folding as he looked at the room's other occupant. You have something to say to Fireherb? he said pleasantly. The revolutionary leader looked sheepish. The Red Army has been quite expensive, said Lord Hong. The printing costs alone 
and you cannot say I have not helped you. We unlocked the doors and killed the guards and gave your wretched people swords and a map, did we not? And now I can hardly claim that they killed the Emperor, may he stay dead for ten thousand years, when there is no sign of them. People will ask too many questions. I can hardly kill everyone, and we appear to have some barbarians in the building too. Something must have gone wrong, my lord. Herb was hypnotised by the moving hands as they caressed that paper. What a pity. I do not like it when things go wrong. God, redeem your miserable self. Take him away. I will have to try a different plan. My lord? Yes, to fire Herb. When you... when we... Agreed. When it was agreed that the Red Army should be turned over to you, you did promise me indemnity. Lord Hong smiled. Oh, yes, I recall. I said, did I not, that I would neither say nor write any order for your death. And I must keep my word, otherwise what am I? He folded the last crease and opened his hands, putting the little paper decoration on the lacquered table beside him. Herb and the guard stared at it. "'Guard, take him away,' said Lord Hong. It was a marvellously constructed paper figure of a man, but there didn't seem to have been enough paper for a head. The immediate court turned out to be about eighty men, women and eunuchs, in various states of sleeplessness. They were astonished at what sat on the throne. The horde were quite astonished at the court. "'Who were all of them vinegar-faced old baggages at the front?' whispered Cohen, who was idly tossing a throwing knife into the air and catching it again. "'I wouldn't even set fire to them.' "'They're the wives of the former emperors,' hissed six beneficent winds. "'We don't have to marry them, do we?' "'I don't think so.' "'Why are their feet so small?' said Cohen. I like to say big feet on a woman. Six beneficent winds told him. Cohen's expression hardened. I'm learning a lot about civilization. I am, he said. Long fingernails, crippled feet, and servants running around without their family jewels. Huh. What is going on here, pray? said a middle-aged man. Who are you? Who are these old eunuchs? Who are you? said Cohen. He drew his sword. I need to know so as it can be put on your gravestone. I wonder if I might effect some introductions at this point, said Mr. Savaloy. He stepped forward. This, he said, is Genghis Cohen, put it away, Genghis, who is technically a barbarian, and this is his horde. They have overrun your city, and you are barbarian invaders, said the man haughtily, ignoring him. "'Barbarian invaders come in their thousands, "'big screaming men on little horses.' "'I told you,' said Truckle, "'but would anyone listen? "'And there is fire, terror, rapine, "'looting and blood in the streets.' "'We haven't had breakfast yet,' said Cohen, "'tossing his knife into the air again. "'I would rather die than submit to such as you.' "'Cohen shrugged. Why didn't you say so earlier? Oops, 
said Six Beneficent Winds. It was a very accurate throw. Who was he anyway? said Cohen, as the body folded up. Anyone know who he was? Genghis, said Mr. Savaloy. I've, I've kept meaning to tell you, when people say they'd rather die, they don't really mean they'd rather die. Not always. Why'd they say it, then? It's the done thing. Ah, is this civilization again? Mm, I'm afraid so. Let's settle this once and for all, then, shall we? said Cohen. He stood up. Hands up, those who'd rather die than have me as emperor. Anyone? said Mr. Savaloy. Rincewind trotted along another passage. Was there no outside to this place? Several times he thought he'd found an exit, but it led only to a courtyard within the huge building, filled with tinkling fountains and willow trees. And the place was waking up. There were running steps behind him. A voice shouted, Hey! He dived for the nearest door. The room beyond was full of steam. It roiled in great billowing clouds. He could dimly make out a figure toiling at the huge wheel, and the words, Torture Chamber, crossed his mind, until the smell of soap replaced them with the word, Laundry. Rather wan but incredibly clean figures looked up from their vats and watched him with barely a hint of interest. They did not look like people in close touch with current events. He half ran, half sauntered between the bubbling cauldrons. Keep it up. Uh, good man. That's it. Scrub, scrub, scrub. <laughs> Let me see those ringers ringing. Well done. Is there um another door out of here? Good bubbles there. Very good bubbles. Ah, one of the laundry workers, who appeared to be in charge, gave him a suspicious glare and seemed to be about to say something. Rincewind dodged through a courtyard crisscrossed with washing lines and stopped, panting with his back to a wall. Although it was against his general principles, it was perhaps time to stop and think. People were chasing him. That is to say, they were chasing a running figure in a faded red robe and a very charred pointy hat. It took a great effort for Rincewind to come to terms with the idea, but it was just possible that if he was wearing something else, he might not be chased. On the line in front of him, shirts and trousers flapped in the breeze. Their construction was to tailoring in the same way that wood chopping is to carpentry. Someone had mastered the art of the tube and left it at that. They looked just like the clothes nearly everyone wore in Hung Hung. The palace was almost a city in its own right, said the voice of reason. It must be full of people on all sorts of errands, it added. It would mean... Taking off our hat, it added. Rincewind hesitated. It would be hard for a non-wizard to grasp the enormity of the suggestion. A wizard would sooner go without his robe and trousers than forego his hat. Without his hat, people might think he was an ordinary person. There was shouting in the distance. The voice of reason could see that if it wasn't careful, it was going to end up as dead as the rest of Rincewind, and added sarcastically, All right, keep the wretched hat. Our damned hat is why we're in this mess in the first place. Perhaps you think you're going to have a head left to wear it on. Rincewind's hands, also aware that times were going to be extremely interesting and very short unless they took matters into themselves, reached out slowly and removed a pair of pants and a shirt and rammed them inside his robe. The door burst open. There were still guards behind him, and a couple of the Tsimo herders had joined in the chase. One of them waved a prod in Rincewind's direction. He plunged towards an archway and out into the garden. It had a little pagoda, it had willow trees, and a pretty lady on a bridge feeding the birds, and a man painting a plate. Cohen rubbed his hands together. No one? Good. That's all sorted, then. 
<clears throat> a small man at the front of the crowd made a great play of keeping his hands to himself, but said, Um, excuse me, but, um, what would happen in the hypothetical situation of us calling the guards and denouncing you? We'd kill you all before they were halfway through the door, said Cohen, matter-of-factly. Any more questions? he added, to a chorus of gasps. Uh, the Emperor, uh, th that is to say the last Emperor, had some very special guards. There was a tinkling sound. Something small and multi-pointed rolled down the steps and spun round on the floor. It was a throwing star. Met them, said Boy Willie. Fine, fine, said the little man. Uh, that all seems in order. Ten thousand years to the Emperor. The shout was taken up, a little raggedly. What's your name, young man? said Mr. Savaloy. Four bighorns, my lord. Very good, very good. I can see that you will go a long way. What is your job? I am Grand Assistant to the Lord Chamberlain, my lord. Which one of you is the Lord Chamberlain? Four bighorns pointed to the man who had preferred to die. There we are, you see, said Mr. Savaloy. Promotion comes fast to adaptable people, Lord Chamberlain. And now the Emperor will breakfast. And what is his pleasure? said the new Lord Chamberlain, endeavouring to look bright and adaptable. All sorts of things, but uh, right now, big lumps of meat and lots of beer. You will find the Emperor very easy to cater for. Mr Savaloy smiled the knowing little smile he sometimes smiled when he knew he was the only one seeing the joke. The Emperor doesn't favour what he calls a fiddly foreign muck full of eyeballs and such like, and much prefers simple wholesome food like sausages, which are made of miscellaneous animal organs minced up in a length of intestine. <laughs> But if you want to please him, just keep up the big lumps of meat. Isn't that so, my lord? Cohen had been gazing at the assembled courtiers. When you've survived for ninety years all the attacks that can be thrown at you by men, women, trolls, dwarfs, giants, green things with lots of legs, and on one occasion an enraged lobster, you can learn a lot by looking at faces. Eh? said Cohen. Oh, yep, right, right enough, big lumps. Here, Mr Taxman, what do these people do all day? What would you like them to do? I'd like them to bucker off. Sorry, my lord? Uh, complicated pictogram, said Mr Savaloy. The new Lord Chamberlain looked a little startled. What? Here? It's a figure of speech, lad. He just means he wants everyone to go away quickly. The court scurried out. A sufficiently complicated pictogram is worth a thousand words. End of CD 6